the internet, and welcome to season 134, episode 2 of Dear Daily Zeitgeist, a production of iHeartRadio. This is a podcast where we take a deep dive into America's shared consciousness and say officially off the top, fuck the Koch brothers okay. and fuck Fox News. Oh, shit. Fuck them, huh? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Fuck yeah. Uh, It's Tuesday, May 19th, 2020. My name is Jack O'Brien, a.k.a. Jackpot. Uh, I just realized as I was starting that sentence, I didn't have an AKA, so we're going with Jackpot. Uh, and I'm thrilled to be joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Miles Gray! Oh my god. We are heroes of the Zeit. To hell with the Fox News might. Zeit, 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 fighting daily Zeit. Rat, tat, rat, tat, tat, down in hot takes they go. Casting hosts of the Daily Sight, send them down below. Oh my god, I have tears in my eyes because that was from the scene of Cuba Gooding Jr. dying in Tuskegee Airmen. Okay, when he's singing oh, the Fighting 99. Because he's trying to pull like up and Lawrence Fisher's like, straighten up and fly right. And he just has to go down. His plane is hit. I made a me- I made a reference to that when someone said Muskegee Airmen. Uh, and because the Zeit Gang uh, is tapped into all levels of consciousness, especially in my mind, they connected the dots to the HBO film. So thank you to uh, Official Dickhead for that one. Yeah, Official, official Dickhead Dickhead's is on officially fire. on a tear right now. ODH is in the building, yeah. Uh, these are the things that I find myself saying these days. Official <laughs> dickhead is officially on a tear. Uh, I'm thrilled to be joined in our third seat by our other co-host, Jamie Loftus. Tonight I'm gonna have myself a real good time. I'll go outside while the world wow. is turning outside in. They're staying at home in quarantine, but don't stop me now. Don't stop me, cause I'll drive to Wisconsin, drive to Wisconsin. <laughs> I'm an Applebee's ordering a pie like a patriot defying the laws of quarantine. <laughs> it goes on. That's beautiful. If the, the payoff on it was worth the journey. Thank you at Mag- uh. Matt Dick, though. Matt yeah. Dickville? Matt Dick though. <laughs> Matt Dick though. Matt Dick though. Mm-hmm. Well, we are thrilled to be joined in our fourth seat by the brilliant and hilarious Jason Pargin, aka David Wong. Jason, how are you doing? I gotta ask all of you a question. Has 2020 been the weirdest year of your lives? Ooh. Not the uh... worst. The weirdest. It's been the weirdest year of mine, but I realize I have led a less weird life than some people. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to think. It's definitely up there. Yeah. It's top three. Because it's not just the pandemic. It's that the pandemic had to come with Donald Trump as president in an election year. Right. Like... I don't know, two weeks after the U.S. military announced that aliens were harassing their fighter jets and right. we, all just, we all just blew it off. That to me <laughs> told me it was probably, yeah, this is the one I'm going to remember. This is I, up there. I was supposed to be on the show like two weeks ago. Right. The day before we were to record, a freak windstorm of 80 mile an hour winds, not even raining, just like a spontaneous gust of destructive wind hits Nashville, knocks out 150,000 homes power 
Oh my I God. didn't have electricity for four days. And it was just like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's the kind of thing that happens in 2020. Yeah. It's, it's that pretty track. much right in line. Well, with it's what- also, I did have to explain to everybody uh, when, when you had to cancel due to that, that strange weather phenomenon follows you around the country. So I wasn't shocked. I'm not going to blame it all on you, but mostly. <laughs> uh, yeah, on brand. Mostly. Because yeah. This happened in 2009 it, when I was at Cracked. And if someone listening to this says, well, you clearly are living in part of a country where spontaneous inland hurricanes form. No, no, I have moved since then. The, yeah. the freak <laughs> weather event, that was a different state. The freak weather event arrived here. So this was twice in the last decade that the headlines had the word freak, rare weather, <laughs> destroys entire town, uh, right as Jason Pargin is about to do something important on the internet. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I I feel like I remember something from the last the last freak weather event where like the wind was so strong it like kind of put the leaves on the trees in a blender and there was just like a wood chipper of leaves sprayed across uh, various buildings. Yeah, another way to put it in Nashville, it snapped two hundred utility poles. I mean like that the, yeah, that's freaky. that shouldn't happen. Uh, I yeah. think it, yeah, there, in terms of like weird years, I feel like. I'm too deep in it right now to be able to give myself the distance to just sort of observe what's happening, at least in the sense of like comparing it to other times, because I felt like, I don't know, I feel like a weird year for me was getting out of college. Like, I still think of like how I I thought, yeah, or just like because the market crashed and I was like getting out of college, like this whole idea of like, yeah, man, you get your degree and now you have a career and you're middle class now. I'm like, dude, I'm working at a fucking t-shirt store and like (laughs) kids are puking on me and I have like... I'm not here with like a history degree, I think, but it's, yeah, this on paper, like, as you say, when you tick the boxes, it's like, yeah, we let it, we just let that official DOD acknowledgement of those UFOs be like, meh, okay, <laughs> there's yeah. UFOs, forget it, no need to it, look yeah. into that more. Yeah, it is I- shocking how many gigantic stories have just completely flown under the radar, even in the past couple of weeks where it's just like, Yep, that's bad. That's scary, but I just don't have the headspace for it at this time. Like, right. we'll get back to aliens harassing the military. <laughs> <laughs> it's so yeah. funny because I spent the entire 90s like watching the X-Files and the entire premise was that aliens are out there but that the government is like desperately trying to cover them up. And here it was the Department of Defense like, yeah, just yeah. letting everybody know there's some sort of uh I don't know, interdimensional beings or something that's harassing our fight our aircraft. If you know something about it, if you know what planet they're from, let us know. Drop and us a tip. Tips at exact, DOD.gov. Yeah. <laughs> meanwhile, We're gonna the crowdsource like, this thing. Yeah, the public's like, oh yeah, right, sure. <laughs> it's like, well, this is what you've been waiting <laughs> on your whole life. People, right. Yeah, demanding like the Area 51 files. And it's like, no, here they are. We're uh yeah, they're they're Just look at that aircraft. video of that tic tac. That's all you need to be like, oh no, no, no. We're some, <laughs> yeah. someone either they're real or somebody knows way too much and we're stupid as fuck and we're way behind. Jason, have you read the debunking or the skeptical take on those videos and like the fact that you can explain it all with just like camera movements and different things being out of focus, etc.? Uh, Yeah, and that's the fun part to me because I've written about UFO culture a few times because I find it fascinating. It's like a new religion. It's like the origins of like as a cultural force, it's really interesting, like UFO abductions and why people believe in that kind of thing and where it 
comes from and the subconscious or whatever, the whole fantasy. It's just funny that now we have a government that pretty much believes in UFOs and the public's <laughs> just over it. Because this right. was in the, you know, the whole reason the X-Files was a hit is that used to be such a big part of the culture is this underground. It's like, man, if we could, you know, if they could let us into Area 51 or the, let us know what really happened at Roswell, which was just, it's a government, you know, radiation test balloon. And now that it's like under Trump, the fact that his government talks as if UFOs are real is like the 37th least weird thing about this this administration like it just doesn't even it's like yeah okay we just uh, right. they have so little credibility that not even that matters anymore <laughs> yeah all right well we're gonna get to know you even better in a moment first we're gonna tell our listeners a couple of the things we're talking about although i feel like we're not gonna have a ton of time to get to anything because we have the last dance and also uh Jason always has interesting things to say up top, but if we have time, we'll talk about Ivanka and Elon Musk. Oh, uh, the most cursed Twitter thread of all time, yeah. Yeah. Kroger did a 180. I don't even know if we need to cover it, but they, it looks like because uh, the Daily Zeitgeist covered their, uh, <laughs> their cutting of the hero bonuses, they've uh, decided to reverse course. We um, did it, y'all. We did just it. Like yeah. Just like that. Just like that. Our influence. Yeah. We're going to talk Last Dance. Uh, we're also going to talk about Scoob, if we have a chance. Scoob! Really? I, I watched Scoob. You did? I bravely watched Scoob. Oh, yeah, you that's right. Scoob? You were, t- you were oh, wow, texting us Scoob. about it on Friday night. Yeah, yeah, because um, Scooby-Doo got human teeth. It's a- <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. All right. Well, we, we do have to get into that. Uh, but first, Jason, we like to ask our guests, what is something from your search history that's revealing about who you are or where you are. Is it safe to get a haircut? Mm. Yeah. Um, is it? It, peop- it? It is very difficult to find the answer to that question. Mm. Um, the people have never seen like a picture of me. My hair. Uh, well, if you've seen The Last Dance, like there's that one security guard. Yeah, who has like the platinum locks, like the the luxurious curls. That's like what my hair looks like. Yeah, but it takes about seven hours in the chair. Mullet. Yeah, in the chair <laughs> to make it look like that. <laughs> but where I'm at, they're reopening. Restaurants are open, um, and hair places, I guess, are going to reopen in maybe another week or something like that. So it is now an individual decision. I no longer have the law telling me what I can and cannot do. So I've had to start googling. Well. Is it safer to go to a restaurant with 30 other people than it is right. to sit in a hair salon with one person and we're both wearing masks? It doesn't seem like it would be, but they're so like, there's no official CDC guidelines saying yes or no, is it safe to get a haircut? Yeah. There's all of these qualifiers. It's like, well, are you showing symptoms? Have they tested the staff? It's like, I don't know. <laughs> how, how do I find that out? Yeah. Uh, like, how well do they sanitize the chairs in between customers? It's like, I don't know. I don't work there. <laughs> right. I, I'm talking about when is it safe for me to get, you know, because I've gone this long. I can go longer. It's, yeah. uh, you know, my my hair does have its own Instagram account. The fans are asking about it. But, right. you know, it, it's, uh, but it, there's a point to where yeah. you have to move past abstinence only and into what is safe intercourse when it comes to hair. Right. Yeah. Well, what can you do? I mean, I feel like the only the way I feel like be safe would be like to be outside. Yeah, outdoor, outdoor haircut. 
in a windstorm. Sure. Yeah, yeah, keep that. Keep those drones have like, away yeah, from. have like a Dyson fan. They're like, we've guaranteed we're ensuring the safety of all our customers. We're giving you this heavy duty Dyson fan to hold in front of your face, so nothing yeah. from behind you can enter the front of your face, blow it back, and then you can get the, the barber sick or whatever. But right. I don't know. It's like the only there's so many ways to ca- think about it yeah. that you could kind of begin to feel safe or unsafe simultaneously. The only yeah. issue is that all of the chemicals that are used on Jason's hair to give it that look. Uh, mm. that it has would probably like kill all plants and animals behind <laughs> him uh, if, mm-hmm. if they put the fan on it. So, Uh-oh. It's so... Con- I mean, yeah, trying to figure out what it... Everything is so different from... I mean, even like block to block at times, it's like people have a completely different attitude about what can you do? What is it safe yeah. to do? Yeah. It's, it's incredibly confusing. It's almost yeah. like our state's... And cities don't communicate well with us, and there's no good place for centralized information. Well, I think because the the bottom line would they be like, if you really want to know what we think, I'd honestly we'd probably say just everyone should stay inside until we can fully do contact tracing and proper testing and yeah. formula. But since there's a lot of pressure to open somewhat, this seems like the lowest risk version of doing it. Although I feel like most people in the sciences are like, I mean, yeah, that that'll help, but really, like, we're not gonna have like that same feeling of moving around or like whatever that thrill people are chasing until we can really get an idea of who has what, when, and where. Yeah. Even yeah. on, even on like uh, on Twitter, there was like the viral photos when Florida reopened the beaches, and they had like the photo of all of the thousands of people on the beach. And then in my Twitter bubble, you know, they like photoshopped in the Grim Reaper, like, <laughs> like <laughs> saying, thank you. But even if you look at that photo, you have some people wearing masks, walking through the beach, walking their dog, maintaining distance. They're fine. Then you would have a group of 10 people sitting close together on, on blankets or whatever, and they're yeah. not fine. Because open air, brief contact, you're probably okay. But prolonged contact, multiple people, close proximity, sharing, you know, paper plates, cups, whatever, surfaces, in other words, the danger, the idea that in that same photo, that the danger is like a hundred times worse for this person than it is for this person over here. It's really hard to parse that. And in the beginning of the lockdown, it was a lot of fun to just yell at people and say, you know, the way my Sunday school teacher used to tell us the only safe sex is no sex at all. Right. And that works for a while, but right. you get to be two months into it, three months into it. And you guys have probably seen, you know, on Twitter and like Nate Silver, people have been tweeting. There's movement data showing people are getting out everywhere. Yeah. Not, not just in, not just in Wisconsin. It, people are slowly venturing out. No matter what they're saying in polls, people are slowly venturing out. So we have moved to a phase of this where it is like, well, okay, eating at a restaurant. A lot of restaurants here in Nashville have outdoor seating. Am I safer eating out on the patio than in the dining room? I, I, I think it is from what I've read, but good right. luck getting an authority to tell you like in a hard number. Yeah. Like unequivocally, like right. on a scale of risk, because we did have this, like this is all reminding me of the AIDS epidemic. Cause I was a early teenager in the heart of that and trying to get a super clear answer. Like, can I get, AIDS from, can I get HIV from oral sex? It's like, well, you know, you should probably wear a condom when having oral sex just to be safe, but, but, and eventually (laughs) they got like 
more strict guidelines, like here's what you need to avoid doing. Here's high risk, low risk. It's hard to find that now. It, it's yeah. hard to find out like what's the, because they will say, for instance, like the six feet social distancing, mm-hmm. the droplets do not magically fall to the ground at exactly like 72 inches. You right. can, it, it, that's just a, a rough guideline they came up with because that's always been the rule for like, if you have the flu or whatever, because people needed something in terms of a number, but right. trying to say, well, okay, am I putting myself and my family at risk by going to get a haircut now? Okay. Well, what about a month from now? Is, is the issue that there's not enough test kits still and that we know the hairdressers are not getting tested? I don't know. And I read for an hour trying to find the answer to it. Yeah. And even if you can find an answer, it's going to be a very (sighs) specific answer for a very specific like area because of circumstances or ideology even. And I mean, even, I'm sure even business to business, like it has to do with like which small businesses are prioritizing worker safety and which aren't. And like, how can you get them to honestly communicate that with you? Yeah. And like yeah. what you, like, oh, you said, are like, are you in a hot spot where there's a, a good chance that people have it? But even if you look it up and I say, well, okay, Nashville has, I don't know how many thousand cases, but if, the, if I then find out that 80% of those are in nursing homes. Or in some town, you look on the map and it's got an outbreak, but you find out that outbreak was entirely in a meatpacking plant. So, okay, if I'm out in the suburbs and I'm going to uh, Master Cuts or whatever the haircutting chain is called (laughs) to get my haircut, does that, you know. And it's funny because we look back on people in old-timey days when they didn't know anything about disease and they thought that, like, bad humors in the blood caused sickness. But we're finding out right now yeah, when it comes down down to like how germs are transmitted, we still don't know anything. I, the average person, I mean, like the the common right. everyday knowledge in terms of how it, people shocked to find out how long you have to wash your hands to actually get the germs off them. Yeah, you know that's something yeah. that feels like we should have all learned in kindergarten. But it's like, oh no, if you're actually trying to kill germs, you've got to wash for a really long time. And if you, you know, go rewind by a year and just watch people washing their hands in, say, a men's restroom and count right. what percentage actually were disinfecting their hands, I'm going to guess it's right around zero. Yeah. It's like. Yeah. And also, we have the terrible example of films that are in media where it's just like, just uh, let me splash a little water on my hand and then yeah, immediately it's just go. Technic- the technicality of getting them wet is. Yeah. Does it's the like job. it's washing. And I think a lot of people, too, like if you're not really like aware of all of the risks and things you'd be like well you just have to normally just wash your hands you know when you go to the bathroom or something like that it's like when i walk through a store like why am i gonna wash my hand no like there's not pee or poo there yeah what like where people i've like i've even found myself even when jackie when she came on and we were talking about her opening the my third eye to the length of hand washing i'm just sort of like how limited you know, like what the risks were that were real to me. And it just takes a second for you to like open yourself and be like, oh yeah, that is a vulnerability. And I wonder if that's just a thing too. We talk about people just sort of rejecting this feeling that they could be at risk. And that's how they sort of reassert their feeling of like virality or feeling alive is by being out there with no mask. Has anyone seen, uh, there's been some signs at least popping up in Massachusetts. I haven't seen them near where I live, but uh, signs in the front of businesses that say "Do not wear gloves while you're in here." Um, those really? Are, no. Yeah, I I had my weekly 
family update call. And across Massachusetts, at least, there are signs that say, don't wear gloves in here, wear your mask, but don't wear gloves because like your gloves will just bring in the germs from the place you just were. There's no point in wearing them. And like you if you're not be... changing them every time. Like, yeah, they're like, just sanitize your hands before coming in and after you leave. That's way like more helpful to yourself and other people than wearing gloves from store to store to store because then you're just spreading germs. Right. Um, It's almost like you guys have to deal with the germs. I'm just keeping them off my hands. But like, I don't give a fuck about you guys. They're like, I got these hand condoms that I fuck the town (laughs) with and I never change them. (laughs) Turns out gloves in the store is uh, a selfish approach, or at least that's the tack Massachusetts is taking. Well, it makes sense because I see like, unless you see people, I've seen people who clearly discarding their gloves, like medical professionals, like with the right technique and right. discarding right. them when they leave a store or whatever or about to enter. But then, like you're saying, too, there are a lot of people who are like the one pair of gloves gang. These are who my are gloves. Just like, yeah. I don't want to wash my hands because I wear these gloves. And, and, it's like, and then I'll touch them. Realistically, I don't have access to that many gloves. so I don't either. Like, so I'll yeah. wash my hands. So Fuck it's it. like, yeah, just sanitize your hands. I'm fine enough knowing that the hand washing is, is sufficient that I don't yeah. have to wear a glove in anywhere as long as I'm not touching my face or anything afterwards. I guess something that didn't occur to me until Jack brought up like the way we see hand washing in pop culture. I'm now thinking about all of the funny germaphobe characters like Monk and mm-hmm. what was the Jack Nicholson movie where he played as like good the, as it gets. Yeah. yeah. And now I wonder if I went back and watched them, I'm not even sure that Jack Nicholson was washing his hands long enough in the scene <laughs> that was making fun of how much he washes his hands. Yeah. And the same He's thing a fucking with, Oracle. Yeah, with, well, no, I'm saying that even he wasn't doing it enough. I'm saying that even looking oh, back, like oh. the, like with Monk, and they would have like some uh, hilarious thing where he would pull out his handkerchief before he would touch something dirty because he didn't want to get his hands dirty. It's like, that's not sanitary. That handkerchief can carry... <laughs> yeah, you want to start nitpicking his, his yeah, like, convulsions. It, it, but these were held up as like, you're an unmanly weirdo who needs medication because Jack Nicholson thank God took medicine at the end of the movie that cured him of his hand-washing obsession. <laughs> Where now you have to look back. It's like, okay, even that comical exaggeration of what, you know, sanitation is, was actually not. No, they actually, he didn't go 20 seconds. I'm pretty sure the medication he took was love, uh, uh, the yeah, love right. of a good woman in Helen yeah. But Example uh, for us all. I need to see that movie. I've never seen it. Oh, I, I really used to love that movie. I haven't seen it my, since. My mom has a cookie that was sent to her as a promotion because she votes in the Golden Globes. And all the time they get these like interesting gifts to be like, please vote for our film. And as good as it gets, had like laser printed like stills from the film put onto like frosting onto cookies. Like this was the <laughs> early wave of printed cookies. And my mom got such a kick out of that shit. She fucking kept that shit in the refrigerator for fucking wow. years. I'm I would yeah. almost be willing to wager that if I go to her home right now, that that cookie may still be in the refrigerator. Because I asked, "Do get rid of it?" She's like, "No, but it's Jack Nicholson, and it's a it's so interesting. It's on this cookie." I'm like, "It's old trash." But you know, salute <laughs> an immigrant mom for never wasting anything, especially if it looks like it was expensive. <laughs> All right, guys, let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. And we're back. 
and we were just talking about how we might have just set a record for not even getting to the overrated, underrated before the first ad break. Uh, that's the goat move. LeBron. But Jason, we like to ask our guests, what is something you think is underrated? The old, irresponsible, trashy, fast food commercials. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. right now I will be watching some escapist lighthearted show, but then the commercial break comes on and it's like the solemn piano music <laughs> in the Burger King logo or the Subway <laughs> logo. And it's like their workers have rubber gloves on and masks. And it's like, we know times are tough, but <laughs> we will get through this together. We at Burger King are doing everything we can to make sure right. that your food is safe. And it's like, man, that is not what I want out of fast food ads right now. I, I know we're in a pandemic. Right. You already were making food that can kill me. And you used to make ads <laughs> making fun of that fact. Like Carl's Jr., I need you to come to my rescue. Now is the time to release like the most irresponsible thing you've ever made, where it's like, a cheeseburger where there's like four patties and then the bun is like a, a churro, like coated in, in like sugar and cinnamon. And it's got like nine strips of bacon on it. And then like the ad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The ad campaign is like the Tiger King doing the ad from doing the ad from prison over a video call. Like I want I want you to make the most outrageous, <laughs> hateful thing. Don't acknowledge the pandemic. Don't even talk about it. Just show right. people the way you showed them before, eating the burger on the beach, and it's like a sexy woman or something because, you know, just uh, please. That's what ads are for. They take place in this alternate universe where we are all invincible and nothing matters. Right. Right. The, yeah. I think that now would be like a really good time to like, yeah, go double down on how fun fast food can be too. Like I was, I was last night. I was in a Mac Tonight hole. I'm like, they should just bring back Mac Tonight. That would be a yeah. great approach to the quarantines. Just reviving old shitty fast food characters that are funny, and then just have Mac Tonight be like, "Don't touch me." Uh, I would like that better. Yeah, oh, what yeah, happened to the? Right would love that too. Yeah. <laughs> now, what happened like, to the guy yeah. that used to do the the subway ads? Bring him back. Oh, oh no! The guy that lost all the weight. Oh, uh, Jason. Is there something wrong I got with some Mac bad tonight? news, man. Oh yeah, uh, Mac tonight is like a he's like a, a icon in the alt right. I didn't know that. I just knew yeah. he was played by Doug Jones. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like any like anything. The white supremacists find a way of co-opting. They took these. Mac tonight. <laughs> they took Mac tonight, man. Jamie, this, this is wait, a new new podcast. Me, you you reclaiming Mac tonight. I can't believe Mac, they took Mac tonight. Mac tonight is a like Weird Al spoof on Mac the Knife, which is <laughs> a song that is from the Three Penny Opera, like the 1928 uh, Weimar Republic Three Penny Opera. It's like such a, a bizarre what? idea. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's that's the whole idea, right? Is this Mac is... the Knife Mac tonight? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. That's like his song that's so upsetting oh well that ruined absolutely ruined my day (laughs) it's 2020 you know nothing's safe but yeah i think with those fast food commercials it really is it's like i don't i don't i'm not relying on subway to keep me safe i'm not relying on these people to keep me safe sure i'm fine if you're an insurance provider and you're telling me or like a bank 
saying, well, I mean, that would be f- fantastic. Like, hey, man, no mortgages for a while, huh? All right, we get the right. point. Huh? Yeah. Sorry. From us to you, take it easy for a little bit. We get it. It's tough. Rather than being like, hey, we'll have a long phone call where we'll still tell you that you owe us the money. But like the subway needs to just, like you're saying, Jason, you're watching something escapist. You don't want, like, I feel like you almost get hoodwinked where you see like a subway logo and you're like, oh, thank God, a subway commercial. And then it's just like overflowing like ERs. And it's like, you know, and during this crisis, like, I don't need that imagery in my fast food commercial at the moment. Like, things are very tense enough as it is. And also reassuring me that your employees are wearing gloves and and are not breathing on the food. I'd be fine if it just turned out that was always true. I kind of... (laughs) Right. Because germs were not invented two months ago. That's, you know, so... I will just, I'm fine with just assuming that Kentucky Fried Chicken or whoever is being sanitary. Take, yeah. do the thing that I need you to do, which is make food fun. And I used to criticize those ads. I've criticized junk food culture. We've done podcasts about it. I now wish I had it back. That's why it's underrated <laughs> it to me because I did not realize the comfort they were providing me until it was gone, like so many things. The odd yeah. thing, too, is these companies are missing such a great opportunity just to performatively act like they give a fuck about their employees. Like, if right. I saw a commercial being like, when you come into a Burger King, like, we are doing everything to make sure every team member is as safe as possible. Like, but if they, they need time off, we do. <laughs> and that, to me, exactly, that, to me, as a consumer, would motivate me more to go to a place like that right now because I'm like, damn, that's cool. Like, uh, even though this is all chaotic, like, someone is actually making it a priority to say... Look, if we're going to open, we want to make sure that there's absolutely zero risk to our teammates or whatever. That's why you can like the safety is born out of the fact that we're keeping our employees safe. I think that's more of an interesting marketing hook. But, you know, what? But that's so easily disproved that I bet they're like, let's not even bother to pretend that we care about our employees because we never have. Yeah. Jason, what's something you think is overrated? Spare time. Because uh, yeah. I, I left my day job at Cracked in March, um, and this was I did, it was unrelated to the pandemic. That was total coincidence that I left because I thought, all right, I've left. Now I can do all of the things I could not do back when I effectively had two jobs, like get in shape, and stay in touch with my my friends, uh, and and like you know all the people. Like I wonder what happened to to, to Jack. I should contact Jack and see how he's doing. <laughs> Uh, and it turned out, no, it actually was not, time was not the problem before it's, and I know that you're going to say, well, yeah, but it's, you had all the spare time, but there's also all this anxiety because of the pandemic and that's not real spare time. But I feel like that's the point. It was always about energy and like mental energy and not, cause if I really cared about fitness, I'd probably have made time for it. See, it's funny. I I took that moment where I was like, well, I've run out of excuses to like my back was against the wall. And I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm going to start doing the thing that I said I wouldn't do, which is exercise. (laughs) And I've been able to do that, I think, because like I was bullshitting myself with the excuse of time. And then I, there's nothing like for me, I can I motivate myself sometimes when I've completely ran out of excuses. Like I will argue ridiculous things to not do in my mind. But when I finally like I'm I've ran out, there's no choice but for me to act. So that's one thing that has happened. But I think, yeah, the spare time, it was always in relation to like how our lives were working vis-a-vis like our employment, too, is what I realized. 
I want you to make right. a mental note of that because we're going to come back to this in the last dance section when we start talking about self-motivation and the weird mm. things the human brain does <laughs> to self-motivate. Yeah. But I used to, I think it kind of called my bluff because I told myself, well, I only don't do these things because it's, I just don't have time. Like, it's like, yeah, but you willingly filled your schedule so you wouldn't have to do these things. <laughs> right. Right. But isn't there a part of you where you're like, I'm full of shit. I was just saying I wanted to do it and I used this excuse. Didn't, wouldn't that then be like, or are you just saying, ah, I guess I didn't really want that. It was just something I was saying to myself. Cause I think that's the moment I had where I was like, ah, then I, am I just full of shit? And I was, I just kept saying, just bullshitting myself about this. And that's when I was like, no, no, no. Like now, now's the time to not continue that anymore. I admire that you were able to take the extra step where you turn the self-loathing into action. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Many of us find that difficult and we just get stuck at the self-loathing stage and then get this. We take the self-loathing as an accomplishment. Like I feel <laughs> I feel sufficiently guilty about the fact that I'm not exercising, therefore I am morally crediting myself with feeling guilt about not exercising. Job right. done. I yeah. am a good person. <laughs> Because I feel bad about the fact that I didn't call all of my friends and family that I've been neglecting for the last 20 years. It's, it's like the fact that I hate myself for it and I can go out on Twitter and make jokes about it and on podcasts, this is my exercise right here. It's me talking yeah. about it. Right. Because in your mind, you're like, well, I'm engaging with it in a very reasonable way. So <laughs> Correct. No Self-awareness is Boom. the thing that, that excuses everything else for me. See, I, I think I've arrived at that, uh, the, the another level of self-awareness where I'm aware of that awareness. And I'm just like, what the fuck? Is, like, what's the point of even thinking all this shit in your head now? <laughs> Excusing That's... a bunch of inactivity. And I was like, no. I unironically that. admire that. I'm not being sarcastic <laughs> at all. I admire I, I'm not that. joking, though, Jason. This is maybe a 10-year a process, though. Like, it was <sighs> 10 years of me saying I'd have spare time. Okay. So, I was front loading a lot of energy to make to try and get this thing working it. And I guess this is all it took was me to have zero options to be like, I've smoked as much weed as I can in a day. I've played as many video games as I can in a day. Shh, might as well try and run for a little bit. Mm. Yeah, it's been a real Forrest Gump thing. You've been just running running across the country ever since the <laughs> pandemic. Yeah, Miles started. is it's recording really from impressive. a different location all the time. I'm running right now, actually. And that's how good <laughs> I've got my not reading. Good. Yeah, a different postcard co uh, location. <laughs> <laughs> now, with my lip, with my lipstick yeah. on it, sealed with right. a kiss. Swack. Yes, I can now uh, do the Jane Fonda tape, but from memory, I don't have to watch it anymore. Oh I can, shit! I can just do it. It's been so like you could start seventy them. days. I could just do it now. <laughs> I love that. It's fun. Yeah, I'm with Jason. I'm. I've just gotten less energy to do the things that oh. I. Thought I would have, or like you gotta motivate yourself. Like I, I tried for a while doing Diamond Dallas Page yoga because I like wrestling, and I was like, well, DDP, he's you know he he's broke his back a ton, and if he's doing yoga, maybe he'll help me along. That worked for a little right. bit. Yeah. Jason, what's a myth? What's something uh, people think is true you know to be false, or vice versa? Well, I realize that up till now, I've picked a series of things that each come with like thirty minutes of discussion. This one is really straightforward and shouldn't really trigger any discussion at all. Um, <laughs> the myth right. is that the pandemic response is going to be the scandal that finally changes voters' minds about Trump like this. Right. Because I'm getting, again, in my Twitter bubble, I get those comfort food headlines where it's like, 
we talked to some voters who thought that the coronavirus was a hoax because Trump told them so. Now they're all sick and they're changing their minds. And then you can click right on over to Trump's approval rating to say, oh, his approval rating is actually higher than it was in January of 2017, right after he got sworn into office. It's we've nothing has changed. It goes up and it goes down. It always snaps back to the same level of around 42, 43, 44% support. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. They're like, yeah. And their minds are now changed except not on white supremacy, which is what this is really all about. Cause the, the pandemics, what I think if black and Brown people started doing better in the country, his approval rating would go down. Like that's where you'd see right. his supporters be like, ah, no, I signed up for this because I was cheering in the streets when you're forcing people to go back to work to serve me. Uh, and I think, I mean, ugh, it's, but it's true. I think we always look at this all the time. We're like, yeah, it is what it is. This is people are just, you know, they're all in on what he represents. Not even it's, it's not about the the issues anymore. It's just what he represents. Yeah. And I don't mean that to be discouraging. It's just that no. it's hard to see because we, we did an article on cracked about this. Like the first headlines of Trump voters, realizing he's crazy and turning on him go back to 2015 right. because he had been in, he had announced for the primaries and he you know initially had some polling that looked stronger than you would suspect from the freaking host of the apprentice running for president and then they went out and interviewed some people it was after he had did the speech about you know mexico sending the rapists and the murderers and all that and they had found some people saying well you know i was intrigued in the beginning but this is a step too far and after every gaffe, after every, the Russia stuff, after the, the big thing was the, the tariffs. And they went and interviewed a bunch of farmers who were losing their farms because of the tariffs. They couldn't sell to China. And it's like, you know, they get these great quotes. It's like, well, you know, I voted for him from 2016 because I thought he would initiate change, but I've learned my lesson. He's full of hot air. And those things will get so many retweets and likes on my in my Twitter bubble, and so many people love and like like dunk on those people. It's like ah, now you recognized it, you dumbass, and then you click right on over to the approval ratings. Like nope, it's exactly the same. It's <laughs> so yeah, I think that's why the bottom line. It's just like just have to energize as many other people to vote against him as possible like we know that there's gonna there's that immovable block now do all of the work around everything else around that and that's yeah. where and not to go down the rabbit hole of the election i realize we've got six months to talk about the election but <laughs> specifically you have about six states and you yeah. guys can probably name them florida michigan wisconsin Iowa, like there's like four Pennsylvania, four four states or so that Trump flipped from Hillary or flipped from Obama. That if if Biden flips three of the four, that's it. it we already know how California is going to vote. I, the talk of Texas turning blue, please, it's not going to happen this time. It's there's like four states, and then among those four states, you're talking about something like what do you think, Jack? Two hundred thousand voters total, and that's yeah. why the Republicans are you, there's not. They're going to spend so much money on this campaign. They're, you're going to see so many ads. The ads are going to make you sick. They're going to spend so much on Facebook ads and all that. Ultimately, it's going to come down to can voter suppression in the swing states keep like 50,000 people home? That's all you need. Like voter ID laws, it doesn't matter if it mostly affects people who wouldn't have voted anyway. You're talking about the slimmest of margins. 
in four, five, six states. And just if you can just close certain polling places, things like that, that's where the battle is. And all of this, like we on Twitter, we in the podcast space over the next six months are going to obsess over scandals and gaffes and, oh, Trump pooped his pants during the debate. This will surely be the end. In the end, his ratings went up. The people, uh-huh. the, the people right. on the, the ground lobby. <laughs> who really know what they're doing know that it's about the slimmest of margins of turnout in this half dozen states, and that's all that's going to matter. So all of this other stuff is kind of sideshow. Yeah. Like, I do keep talking about how I'm reading about the Weimar Republic, and uh, I don't know. Like, I maybe it's just the reading of that, but I keep, like, feeling like the way that we're seeing all of this uh, in the like by paying attention to it in the like more micro zeitgeist level is missing that there's like just an overall shift happening that is really like dangerous that the country is really like teetering on the brink of something bad and i i don't know if that's just me selectively <laughs> uh reading about pre-nazi germany or I don't want to give Elon Musk this much power because I think he's been no. like a capitalist shithead from when he was, you know, born owning an emerald mine. But the fact that these like liberal hero, like he's tweeting, take the red pill and Ivanka's tweeting taken. And I don't know. It just feels like, yes, it feels like there's a hard wall that uh, he's not going to drop below because of like an inbuilt, like culture of white supremacy that was reminded that you know we it's terrified of uh losing that that edge w- with Obama and like so people just aren't aren't willing to go down at all but i i i don't know if it can't go in the other direction i i'm i'm not so sure that uh we can't totally lose the thread of of you know rationality and reasonableness as a as a country and as a culture Uh, well i mean i I think things are already bad to be honest um there's already i mean yes there's like uh there's like lawlessness without lawlessness if that makes sense like it doesn't feel like you know people still get in they respect what a line is to get into a movie or whatever or back before all of this but there was still just you know rampant killing of like vulnerable people there's there's constant financial warfare being played out economic warfare being played out on a class of people who are like living in an absolute hellscape prior to all of this like day-to-day life was not pleasant and i think it's interesting because you know with like every subsequent fucked up global event we learn like okay we don't want to fight like that anymore like, we don't want to fight with, like, just shooting each other's faces off in the street like that war. So then we kind of learn a little bit more from each one, and it begins to look a little bit different. But now, I mean, I would absolutely argue that, you know, life is absolutely hard to imagine going through all the time when you live in a place where you have no support, if you have mental health problems, if you are vulnerable as an LGBTQ youth in a conservative area where your family's ousted you, if you're a person of color trying to jog um there's yeah there's a lot of there's just a 
But that's the thing. Like the people who are so angry right now, these like dress up patriots and shit, they're only they're only willing to get angry because they want to go to a bar. That's not stakes. But those are their stakes. And that's clearly enough to motivate them. But there are people who are looking down the you know, uh, the proverbial barrel of a completely different gun that I think is much is also very frightening. And I think looking at uh, friends and family who are in like precarious situations with their finances even now just because of this and just looking at the absolute lack of any kind of feeling of safety or uh, anything from the government or local leadership is off is fucking terrifying. But yeah. We're definitely we're every day we're polarized more and more and more. And I think, Jack, like you were saying, like just that Lily Wachowski reply of her just to the both of them saying, yeah, fuck both of you. It really does speak to like, that's all we've got anymore. Right. Like all we can say is that fuck you guys, because we've like a lot of us are pretty much resigned to the fact that we're having trouble addressing this this creeping problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's and it's very impotent. As far as the voter issues go, I mean, it seems like this is a very cynical way to look at it, but it's it like just based on even very recent evidence, it seems like if there is an opportunity on either side really to fuck around with voting, that will be taken full advantage of. Because as recently as two months ago, we were asking people in like places where that were already technically quarantined to go to voting sites. Like it's, it's already, there's a total lawlessness in approach to like how actual voting is working. And ideally we would all be like, okay, we're going to vote by mail. This is going to be great, blah, blah, blah. But it's, but I just don't see it going that way. There's no, there's no way that this election won't be somehow tampered with. And there's already like, I mean, voter suppression is already so rampant where it's like, we already (laughs) know that like people of color are prevented from voting. Uh, all the time there's like id issues there's all this shit and it's like it's just gonna it's not gonna get better like what you know it's just yeah. it's- but let me predict in advance uh here's a tactic that trump and his administration loves to use they will leak or suggest an outrageous policy something that has universal backlash and so he will leak or suggest or say well, maybe we should delay the election for a year until we know what's going on. Let the media go nuts. Let the Twitter sphere go nuts. Let all of the late night comedians go nuts comparing him to a dictator. Then he will walk back from that, but will put out there a policy that is extremely subtle. Well, we've got, we'll go ahead and have the election. But just to be safe, we're going to shut down certain polling locations that we've right. judged to be high risk. Right. Right. Based and, on these outbreaks clusters. Oh, which look at that. The data seems to say that's in a lot of uh, black and brown areas or poor areas. Hmm. Or, yeah. And it will be released and you will have like some 10,000 word Atlantic article breaking down the systemic oppression of this plan. And then you'll have on Fox News, well, it's like, well, you, I guess you want people to get sick because you were so upset when they <laughs> voted in Wisconsin, the primary, right. blah, 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 blah. like we're out here trying to keep people safe. And they will, it will sound reasonable to a lot of average people. It's like, well, you know, of course we want to make, make sure you're only going to the safe locations. Of course we want to, you know, they can drive to the polling place. How hard is that? Everyone has a car, don't they? Right. And right. and because the outrage, we will feel like we won the battle. Like, oh, the Twitter backlash was so strong, we made Trump have the election. We are so good and powerful that this other policy that, again, 
all it has to do is shift a couple hundred thousand votes. It, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to stop everyone from voting. It just has to shift the narrowest of margins in these half a dozen states. And that that's how they will do it. That the actual plan won't be like something from a movie where a dictator does it. It will be a more subtle hand. Because while right. Trump just barely understands politics, he's surrounded by people who actually understand it very well. Right. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, as much as I'd like to continue to discuss all the subtle ways our democracy is being dissolved, we have to get to the important matter of Last Dance. Uh, it ended last night, but first, uh, let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. And we're back. So, Jamie, you watched everything, right? I did. And uh, Jason, you watched everything? Oh, yeah. Please. <laughs> it's, you, no, you, it's, were, you were a huge Bulls fan, right, growing up? Uh, yeah, because I lived in Illinois, so we were in like the WGN broadcast area. We got the Chicago Tribune at all of our gas stations, so I had daily mm. Chicago papers. I could read all of those sports columnists. But that picture they showed at the end of all the faces in the crowd when when Jordan was about to hit the winning shot, and there's like this still shot of this white crowd in Utah, and all of their faces, right. there's like this look of despair in everyone's face. I have that framed behind me right now. I have that photo. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, and we're going to bring in super producer Anna Hosnier, who also uh, watched... The Last Dance and was very, uh, it was fun to watch The Last Dance with you, Anna, uh, o over text. Uh, yeah, no, I, I just really enjoyed your observations. You, you really like got into the series and like were surprised by things that I had taken for granted uh, a long time ago. And um, uh, it was this show, like, true, like some of my earliest memories growing up is watching. Uh, like from like I want to say like 95 to 98 is what I remember watching the Bulls the most with my dad and brothers and that it really uh it hit home man I was like so nostalgic and happy and like I was really into basketball as a kid because uh, I wanted to fit in with like the boys and my fam and there's so many things I remember and let me just say like my dad the first place he came to America and he, from Iran was Utah. So he's this huge jazz fan. And oh we, God. we like our family, our family, like last night, the group chat was just like, everyone just saying, fuck Carl Malone to my dad. And he was just like, well, uh, well technically, uh, he's a great, like, it's just like, uh, whatever, dad, you can't even admit that this, like, to this day, to this day, he's still out here trying to defend Carl Malone, even though we're like, he's a bad person altogether. I remembered Carl Malone as a dork, and sure enough, he he delivered with just by just appearing constantly with like jeans, with yeah. a t-shirt tucked into his high-waisted yeah. jeans, uh, and then and when just, he was in that TV movie as the cowboy, I was like, no, nah, this is too far <laughs> Oh, now. my God. Like, he looked like an absolute clown show. We were talking but about this. Jordan was such a dork, was such a dork too. Well, like, he was a dork he, for I, basketball. Yeah, but he was like a dork when that part where you get to see him listening to music before the <laughs> game and he's like dancing and like i went and listened to the Kenny Lattimore music that he was dancing to and <laughs> it's just like Kenny this. Lattimore. 
Yeah, and it's just this like <laughs> real like soft rock like shit you would hear on like a smooth jazz like oh, stations. Shit. Just yeah. so whack. Um, <laughs> we, we talked about this a little bit before uh, and last night too. But I, I, so a lot of this information is like I know the general beats, but I was really little when this happened, so I don't know like the little stuff like the flu game. I was not aware of that. I didn't know that was a thing. And so when that came up in episode nine and they were like, all of a sudden they're talking about a pizza and it's like the most <laughs> serious shit in the entire world. I was like, I was so confused. It is so funny rewatching that, even knowing what happens. Cause you're like, okay, it's fine. Everything was fine. But like, it gets so solemn. The music changes, whatever. One of those guys is like, Five guys, one pizza. It just didn't feel right. You're like, what are you talking about? It's yeah. it is. Uh, it was. They never explain what they're implying. Like I knew it didn't <laughs> right. take. I knew it wouldn't take five people to deliver one pizza. And sure enough, he got deathly ill. It's like what? They were what just are you Jordan talking fans. About? Like they were just Jordan <laughs> right. fans. The number of people that came with the pizza have nothing to do with. It was just really, and the fact that like canonically. Michael Jordan's in a room with four other people at 1 a.m. and eats a whole pizza by himself. There should have been multiple people who got sick from that pizza. <laughs> but Jordan right. was like, not on my watch. I'm going to eat a whole pizza at 1 a.m. That was one of the things that was one of the things that we learned or I, I've talked before on this podcast about like stories where he goes out and like drinks a case of beer with uh, Jeremy Roenick on the golf course and then goes out and like puts up 50 on the calves that night. It's just incidentally in here where before one of the games in the very series where people are like, oh, my God, I can't believe that he got sick where he <laughs> is like doing a shoot around. And is like, yeah, I just had a couple beers and a cigar. Like, that's how he got ready for a shoot around in the finals, in the NBA finals. He has like an unnatural, like somebody talked about how he has like this insane metabolism. And I, I feel like that's on display. Like he can just like treat his body like a garbage dumpster. And it just has unending reserves of energy. It's aspirational, really. It's great. Oh, for sure. It's and they say what they accuse the pizza of someone of uh, messing with it to taint it. I mean, they yes. don't say that outright, but it's implied. Like it's like they hmm. heavily they they interviewed Michael, his that trainer, and then that who's that white guy who keeps saying it's his best friend. It's his a personal assistant slash best friend. I don't know. Yeah. Who the knows? guy he hired to be his best friend. Yeah. And they're like, well, you know, and, and they're like using this accusatory tone, which they're talking about something that would be a felony. It, like you right. can look up what pizza place that was. You could look up who delivered the pizza. Probably like that's not a small thing to throw out in yeah. a documentary. When here's the reality, Michael Jordan's diet for that day was probably some donuts, four cigars, a bottle of scotch, a few beers, <laughs> And an entire pizza eaten at 1 a.m. He's got, oh, man, my stomach. It seems like my stomach started hurting. I knew they had to have tampered with it. There's uh -huh. there's no other reason why right. eating a pizza in the wee hours of the morning, an entire pizza by yourself would. Hmm. And that's all I needed. That's why I went to the that's city of Naples needed, and yeah, I burned it to the ground because that's where the pizza was invented. Huh. I, I, love, I really... I really liked this documentary, but it's like I would love to see the same version of events of this documentary 
if Michael Jordan were not deeply involved and if everyone weren't clearly afraid of Michael Jordan. Yeah. Like, right. Because it would just be produced way by his. It would be team. very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, yeah. Because, I mean, everyone has been comparing this to the OJ doc, which is not really fair. Uh, but but there is not fair to the OJ doc. Not, <laughs> not fair, fair to, to OJ. Yeah, just really. as for the OJ doc. Right. Really. Mm-hmm. No, OJ. But 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 it is like you can feel in especially in the way that some of the journalists talk. There, what was that line that it was just like it was just cringy. It was like, no, he didn't touch that guy. Like that wasn't a foul. It was a mater d bringing you to your table, and you're like, shut the <laughs> fuck up. What are you talking right. about? The push off yeah. of Byron. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing also that that leaves out is that basketball, like refereeing basketball is all about what it looks like, and that Mm -hmm. looked like a push-off. So like in normal circumstances, it would have been called a push-off, but... I Not don't know what that is. I just know it, it that calling it a mater d guiding you to your table <laughs> yeah. is bullshit. Yeah, I forget it's who said that. But now, I, heard it. I have a question. How, when did... Okay, this is something I observed over my time watching, observing basketball. I don't watch it, I observe it. Um, it seems the better player you are <laughs> and the more respected you are, you're. it's totally okay to travel. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's the NBA. <laughs> okay. There, are, I was there like, are rules for the stars huh. and the rules for other people. Okay, because it looks like Jordan had a few moments where he was Have traveling. Have you seen LeBron? Yes, that's ever? what I'm talking about. Because he's constantly yeah. on Shaq and a fool <laughs> traveling. And I'm like, okay. Like walking is... with the ball yeah. up court with both hands on it. <laughs> with everyone around him doing the whole reaction. Like, what? Did you just see that? And I'm doing the same yeah. thing at home. Like, oh, it's cool. Oh, you can, if you're that great, you could walk this ball through this court. And yeah. everyone's like, well, he's Jordan. <laughs> There's a metaphor yeah. for life there that yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah you right, learn exactly. nothing else about life from the watching the doctor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, um, it just takes me back to uh, John Hamm and Thirty Rock, the really beautiful doctor. So he didn't even know what he was doing. <laughs> yeah, but he, he was, was in a, a bubble. Yeah, yeah, he was in a handsome bubble and didn't know what real what the yeah. real world was like. That's Jordan. <laughs> One of the most fascinating yeah. things about Michael, something this documentary tries to hide, which is that he is a nerd in a jock's body. When right. you hear him trying to like just have conversations with people and trying to relate to people, it doesn't surprise me at all that his only friends are like his dad and his security oh. guards. Right. He doesn't, when he tries to talk, like he just falls back on the same kind of like fake trash talk or whatever. Like, ah, we'll get you next time. You get a sense of he was having a real conversation with somebody that he wouldn't know what to say because he doesn't. He's a nerd. He's a basketball nerd. He, he's a dork. Yeah. He, he his his tastes are not the, in line with other people's. He doesn't know how to dress himself. He's just it's just he happens to look <laughs> like Michael Jordan. He's always wearing a bucket hat. It's a, yeah, it's the same thing with I think Dennis Robin is a genius, but yeah. because of the outward stuff, you don't recognize him as a genius. It's like we judge people on appearances. It's like no, he is a basketball genius. He. He has figured out basketball in a way that another genius would have figured out like germs or molecules or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was one of the like there there are very interesting characters that just get kind of glossed over in this. I think Rodman being like he doesn't get glossed over, but I mean he's probably like you leave the documentary, I think most people thinking he's probably more interesting than Michael Jordan. I agree with that. I'm a huge Dennis head. I was going to make a video of to the like the leave Britney alone as the leave Dennis alone because they're so hard on him. And it always, you know, mm-hmm. actually on the ethnically ambiguous episode that dropped today, we talk a lot about how because 
these are black men. They are always held to a higher standard of how they are supposed to act. And no matter what they do, it overshadows the fact that they actually are these incredibly gifted athletes. Like Rodman came in and he delivered in every game, regardless of how, where he was or who he was partying with. But like no one can look past that because it's like, well, you know. He, there's he a higher wedding dress. Yeah, there's just always a higher standard when you're a person of color that you have to meet in order to get that sort of respect. Well, Not I think he also that. had a whole bunch of toxic masculinity going against him as well. Like yeah. a lot of the other ways he's like there were many levels at which people were finding ways to like fault him when, you know, I think if you if he if Dennis Rodman were like a rookie this year or you know, a year ago or something, and we're starting to see this evolution, like, man, this he's cool. <laughs> this guy's an interesting guy. He's a cool guy. He's great. There's Watching Cody. him hit someone with a chair was so was what a, what a treat. <laughs> he had to do that wrestling. Sorry to say, it. he had to. That's a great. <laughs> he kick. had to. That's essential work. There's like coded language that in sports that even comes up in this in that episode or in this last episode that was on, where when it's a white player, there's all this like, why well, so scrappy? He's a mm-hmm. he's a gym rat. He's a, like Steve Steve. It's like well. Yeah, he's at heart. You can tell he worked for everything he ever did. You did not hear that applied to Dennis Robin. Dennis Robin, it's like, or any of the, like Scotty Pittman's like, grew up in the hood, escaped right. getting shot, mm-hmm. used his natural basketball gifts to escape the hood. Like there's none of the talk of how hard Dennis Robin worked because I'm telling you, he worked out more than anybody else on that court, probably any two of them put together. But with yeah. the little white guy, it's always well, you know, he he earned everything. He, you know, he's a he's scrappy, scrappy gym rat. Because you know, and going up this- to those those brothers, you know, because <laughs> who knows what kind of eugenic stuff was going on back in right. the like, antebellum yeah. period. It's uh, like, what the fuck are you trying to imply with all this shit? It's like it all goes back to like Mandingo, other eyes, like the horsepower on these men kind of bullshit. Yeah. But yeah, it, it is frustrating to hear that. You get the Even same in- thing in football when there's a black quarterback and it's like, well, right, will he uh, be more of a Warren Moon or a Michael Vick? It's like, well, why right. can't he be a Joe Montana? It's right. like, they, and I don't even know if they notice themselves doing it. No. But it's What's something that, that, do not. It's that this in. documentary yeah. didn't like to talk a lot about because, again, it, this, this stuff happened during the... I mean, the LA, the Rodney King riots, like this was the nineties. This was flashpoint for a lot of these issues. And that Michael's whole thing was like, no, I'm not, I'm just not going to be that guy. Right. I don't know. I know that they, nobody wants to watch a whole episode dedicated to that stuff, but uh, I th- yeah, I would it's like, I think that, we, yeah. talk, we brought that up and I think it would be interesting to see someone like Michael with his outsized figure and you know, how important he is to the culture to even hear somebody wrestle with that of saying like that puts me I, I have a choice to make if I speak my mind I will most likely completely like evaporate everything I've accomplished yeah. from a financial aspect professionally I don't know maybe my game is too good for somebody to bench me but I know there will be problems if I open my mouth and it I would love to hear a very honest conversation about that with him magic a lot of the people involved just because I think that's important for people to hear because I think on certain levels, people have moments where they're like, should I speak out? And you start weighing what the risks are. And sometimes you're like, that was actually a good call. This person actually didn't end up being worthy of my, my defense. Or you might say, or you might feel deeply guilty about it and say, oh my God, I could have, I may yeah. have been able to do something that would have changed the outcome. Whether that's for us on a, our level of 
maybe I could have helped somebody out on a personal level or Michael Jordan be like, what could I have done societally? I think that's a very, very nourishing conversation to witness and for people to, to begin to process. Because we were living in an age of where we're having to figure out if it's worth speaking our minds or, or rather we just want to keep it low and keep, you know, not have too much turbulence and, you know, uh, thrive that way. It's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, it, it, I was curious as to like, I mean, I felt like in general, the documentary didn't uh, didn't give Dennis Rodman a really fair like, I don't know. I mean, I know it's not about him, but it I, it didn't it seemed to glaze over a lot of the Dennis Rodman stuff in a way that like it warranted further discussion. And I wonder I'm like, who is the person making the call to not explore? I mean, like what what you're both talking about, because it fits into the story perfectly. There's space for it. There's space for an entire episode of discussion. But is it is it that Michael doesn't want to have that discussion? Like at what point in the production were they like, oh, this would because it's clear that like as a network, ESPN has wanted to have that discussion. We saw that in the OJ documentary, but it just I'm like, I, I, I was just curious of like, where did that stop? Where did they say we're going to go up to here? And then for whatever reason, we're not going to go any further and just make it a whatever 20 second segment. Well, I, I feel like Jordan from the start has made it very clear that he doesn't like discussing the politics of certain things, you know, like it's yeah. all very like, keep it to the basketball, keep it to the game, keep your head in the game. Keep it Don't to the shoe consumers. Yeah. Keep it to the shoe consumers. Republicans buy shoes too. Like yeah. he likes to keep it. I, I mean, and that's, you know, that's a problem with the whole situation as well. Like he never felt comfortable to step out of line either because that's, right. that was like, his reputation. That's, that's the power of, but that's also the power of white supremacy yeah. because you're a, you're a man of color. You are, all, all we have are examples of how bad shit goes when mm -hmm. you want to call out white supremacy. So, and again, I think these are these are such interesting conversations, especially here. Michael Jordan talk about it. I think, you know, yeah, maybe that maybe we need that Dennis Rodman spinoff or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. But I get too like Craig sports are spinoff. Yeah, but sports are an escape, yeah. and I think that's a calculated risk they make. Is like when you start getting into things about you know not every. Everyone wants to talk about Michael Jordan and the Bulls and that run. Everyone loves it, clearly, by this. Now, does everybody want to have a really deep, nuanced conversation <laughs> about, you know, the hegemonic power of white supremacy in, <laughs> in sports and our culture and what there leaves our greatest heroes and their decision-making? Ah, see, that's where we're like, <laughs> well, yeah, maybe we can we do that a few years down the road. But yeah. I think that's Even probably what the risk, or at least what they were calculate, their calculus was. Yeah. Even talking about, like, Scottie Pippen's upbringing – and almost framing it like it's this Charles Dickens story yeah. where it's like, wow, in a one-bedroom house with 13 kids and three of them were paralyzed. And it's like, okay. because And they put that in because it informs his decision later to take a tiny contract yeah. that is a fraction of what he was worth because he was sending the money back home. Right. There's a huge, there's huge implications there in terms of how he had to live his life based on where he was from. And why the place he was from was like that. Right. That you kind of, it like, it just becomes like storybook, well, inspirational. And you still see this in like draft guides, like, you know, grew up under tough circumstances. You know, right. the father was killed in prison when he was 13. It's like, okay, let's talk about that. Because you now want to immediately switch back to the sports. But the whole point of a 10-part documentary is we're going to go off the court. We're going to go behind the scenes and show the real people and what really makes them tick. And you spend so much of it 
on the practice court and on the bus. And it's like, man, every decision Scotty had to make, everything about his attitude, about the way he talks to authority figures is informed by where he's from. And he's a fascinating person because there's all these conflicts because he knows he's, he's great, did not want to overshadow Michael, was playing with someone who knew that if he felt threatened by him for one second, that he would just destroy him. Scotty had to balance this in a way that Michael didn't, you know, and obviously Michael's father was killed. That's a tragedy, but the support, you know, from his family and everything. And the same thing with Dennis, Dennis Rodman was homeless for two years out of high school and just stumbled onto a basketball court. And now it's like, Oh, it's all piercings and Kim Jong-un and hair dye. It's like, man, Everything that he did was informed by where he was raised and where he was raised is like that for a reason. And you could say, well, but that's too big of a subject to get into on a basketball doc. But I don't know. I thought the whole point was like talking about what a cultural phenomenon he was and this team was and how it extended beyond sports and it extended beyond America. Okay, well, can we talk about this other stuff too instead of just it's like something that's kind of mentioned in passing? I feel like we have a very thorough understanding of how Michael Jordan sees everything. Like that's what the documentary gave us or how Michael Jordan wants people to see everything. Um, But that's, that's it. Uh, But I think that's, but I think that that's a thing everyone wanted to though, based on everyone tuning in week in week out. Just, there was like, there was something about that getting into the head of somebody that people, you know, most people, people who were growing up in the eighties and nineties probably had a poster of, or some kind of bulls something. Um, yeah. So I think there's just very deep nostalgia for a time when, uh, that seemed simpler. And I think, I think was, was probably simpler for a lot of people. (laughs) When our parents had really good jobs in the nineties. Uh, can I just say one thing? I really, the one thing I really respect about Jordan, and I've texted you guys about this uh, over the last few weeks, is what an open crier he is. Um, I love yeah. that, considering he's in a sport, and, and he came from an era that was surrounded by toxic masculinity, and to have that much emotion and to be so open about it, like that scene with him lying on the ground, bawling with the basketball after having won a championship, like, what? Yeah. That, the And, you know, crying Jordan meme, all that. You know, he's very open with his emotions. And I think that's kind of amazing. Like, that, there's so many layers to him in a way where you're like, okay, you know, he's this very fierce competitor. But I I love, I love how much he is just down to, like, I was going to say ball, like ball in both ways. But B-A-W-L. Yeah, like, but like you ball know, and but ball. But you know, you know, you know some, ball, poor, ball. <laughs> some poor asshole made the mistake of trying to fucking sun him over crying. I can only imagine Ooh. what Michael Jordan would respond if some people <laughs> like, hey, Mike, you crying, bro? Oh, like, <laughs> and I don't that's know. all he needed. What that's is, all yeah, he needed. What is, and that he's was like, all he needed. And then, uh, yeah, he died of uh, uh, a mysterious poisoning uh, about 18 months later. Uh, so who's crying now, bitch? I wouldn't be surprised uh, if we found out the crying meme was actually him. He was behind it. He's like, oh, you gonna make fun of me crying? It. Mm-hmm. That's all we needed. Now I'm a meme that you will never forget. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, Jason! It's been a pleasure having you on the Daily Zeitgeist. Uh, where can people find you and follow you? I have quit my day job, so I'm writing books full time now. So I'm going to take this opportunity to say, just find me wherever they sell books. The one you can pre-order now is called "Zoe Punches the Future in the Dick." 
Uh, mm-hmm. It is a sci-fi novel, and the tone of it is conveyed by that title. Please go to your local bookstores. They are desperately struggling. Call them up on the phone and say, I want to pre-order it. Uh, if you want to avoid Amazon, 100% understand. If you cannot afford books, uh, that, then I'm, I'm just screwed. I don't, know what to, I don't know what to say. I picked the wrong time to do this. Uh, and is there a tweet or some other work of social media you've been enjoying? Yeah, and I don't. I guess you probably cannot play the audio from it, but Steve Martin, comedy legend Steve Martin, his Twitter is mostly him playing the banjo for like 20 seconds <laughs> at a time, and he is uh, an expert banjo player, and it's I've gotten more comfort from his banjo playing than a million tweets dunking on the virus. Um, right. But yeah, if if it's I don't know what the licensing issues would be with actually playing it. If you can, please do. If not, I would encourage people. And as I'm speaking, it occurs to me, some of your fans are too young to know who Steve Martin is or to care about him. <laughs> yeah, he's a genius. Uh, if you don't, which I think people know, but if you don't, yeah, don't we all saw Cheaper by the Dozen. <laughs> okay, now hold on. Father of the Bride. Very briefly, what year did Cheaper by the Dozen come out? Two thousand and three. Okay, some of your listeners were too young to have watched that movie and to know about it. Wow. Time, time marches on, and it will eventually murder us all. Shout out to seventeen and under that gang. I mean, I really wish we could end on that quote. Uh, but Jamie, where can people find you and follow you? Uh, you can find me on twitter.com at Jamie Loftus Help, on Instagram at Jamie Christ Superstar. Uh, I'm going to shout out a tweet that approximately 500 people tagged me in. Uh, Is it the Chuck E. Cheese? It's the Chuck E. Cheese thing. <laughs> you know what? I just like, at this point, I'm like, the, these, these, these dweebs. Okay. Not the people tagging me in it, the people that are giving secondhand Chuck E. Cheese news weeks later and get it and then taking credit for breaking the story anyways this makes me so mad okay uh so there the tweet is yesterday i found out that chuck e cheese realized people didn't want to order takeout from chuck e cheese so they changed their info on grubhub apps to pasquale's pizza and tricked a bunch of people into ordering chuck e cheese because pasquale is one of the characters in the band. Now, there's a lot of factual inaccuracies with this attention-grabby tweet. Uh, It says, most importantly, it says, yesterday I found out. But it happened months ago. And and you know what? They changed the name to Pasquale's Pizza. So what? Like, my stance is, you expose the scam... You made the scam go viral. Now they got to find another scam. They got to start calling it like Jasper's House of Fine Italian Cuisine. It's not fair. Let <laughs> let Chucky get his. Stop putting Chucky let on blast. Ch- I like that hashtag. hashtag yeah. Let Chucky get his. Ridiculous. <laughs> but everyone, thanks to everyone who tagged me in it. What I would love now is if like food Twitter would pick up like what great pizza this is. It's like, man, why didn't I never know about this pizza chain? Apparently they've got like 800 locations. It's great. Yeah. Because they, they just don't know that it's Chucky. They're the people that were fooled in it. Anyway. That's on them for not knowing Chucky Cannon. Pasquale, that's a dead giveaway. <laughs> Miles, where can people find you, follow you? Twitter, Instagram, PlayStation Network, Miles of Grey, and also my other podcast, 420 Day Fiancé. Episodes come out Wednesday. Talking about 90 Day Fiancé, some tweets that I like. First one is from Lauren Davis, at Lauren Davis. 
It says Twitter is bleeding into the local graffiti, and it's a photo of a piece of broken concrete with blue spray paint that says Elon is space Karen, uh, which is a wonderful <laughs> yep. thing. Uh, another one. This is from at uh, Caro X Xanax. Interesting. Uh, her display name, not Caro. So apparently this woman is pregnant, and there was a photo of her that some other uh, Twitter user tweeted. So some other person tweeted the photo of this woman pregnant and said, imagine looking like this uh, with, like, laughing tears. And then she replies, I'm literally eight months pregnant. I don't know what you expect me to look like. Still get my ass ate, though, so I guess I'm doing something right. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, just a powerful clapback. Uh, another one is from uh, past guest, the Clark Jones, at the Clark Jones. What's your favorite LeBron three-peat? <laughs> is his tweet uh, interesting one? Yep. And Dana Donnelly, finally, at Dana Donnelly, says, people who are out at bars right now like, Corona's a hoax, you're all stupid snowflake sheep baby pussies. Honey, I hope you're right. I hope two weeks from now, I'm also at the bar like, wow, looks like I was being a stupid snowflake sheep baby pussy. I guess we'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, super producer Anna Hosnia, where can people find you, follow you? Uh, I'm at Anna Hosnia on Twitter. Um, also, if you want to check out my podcast, I host two, one called Ethnically Ambiguous about being a person of color in America. It's today's episode, or I guess, excuse me, yesterday's episode. We talk all, I mean, I go on a tangent about my Dennis Rodman love. Uh, and then I also host a show about Below Deck, the reality TV show called Deckheads with Nick Turner. And boy, it's getting juicy, y'all. I recommend it. And I have some tweets. Can I explore? Yes. Please. Okay. Oh. This one's from Rob Perez from Worldwide Wob, and he wrote, it's all Jordan, because I was on Twitter last night, so it's all last yeah. night's theme. Uh, he wrote, in a in a 48-hour span, Dennis Rodman played hooky to no consequence, whooped DDP's ass on Nitro, made the game-clinching free throws in a finals game, and then went home with Carmen Electra. This hot streak may never be conquered. <laughs> um, it's not bad. Uh, and then there's this other one from Melku Black at OG Mellow. Uh, it just says, you know, when it's like people talking, it says nobody. And then there's nothing there. And then Michael Jordan. So I took it personal. Uh, <laughs> that was pretty spot on. Uh, and here's another one about Rodman uh, from uh, at Dragonfly Jones. Rodman went a- AWOL on MJ and the 90s Bulls because he had to go join the NWO. If you're not a certain age um, if you're not a certain age I don't think you can really wrap your head around how that's the coolest sentence you could have possibly put together in 1998 <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. and then my uh, the final one is the one I sent you guys uh, last night which someone tweeted um, the picture of the, the four Ghanaian uh, pallbearers from the not pa- is it pallbearers <laughs> from uh, the funeral yeah. and someone tweeted the pizza delivery guys in Utah is the four Ghanaian pallbearers <laughs> ready to kill <laughs> to walk your ass to the grave? Uh, that's good that niche good. content. Yeah, that's, that's good. Uh, and uh, yeah. Uh, I liked Jesus uh, Nice's tweet next Sunday. Just give us two hours of Jordan watching viral videos on that iPad and reacting. <laughs> Watch the hell out of that. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Jack underscore O'Brien. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Zeitgeist. We're at The Daily Zeitgeist on Instagram. We have a Facebook fan page and a website, dailyzeitgeist.com, where we post our episodes and our footnotes, where we link off to the information that we talked about in today's episode, as well as the song we ride out on. Miles, what are we riding out on? Just something that feels 
big and epic and soothing at the same time, and that is a track called Official by the band Junip. And if you like Jose Gonzalez, the singer-songwriter, uh, that's his band. Um, and this track, Official, is just great. Like, it gives you, look, it's got a nice beat to it, but there's some nice acoustic guitar picking, and the lyrics are really great. Uh, and, you know, just, just something to pretend you're on a horse riding the vast distances. I'm playing a lot of Red Dead Redemption right now, so that's, <laughs> I got horse brain. I feel like it would be it would surprise a lot of people in the old west if somebody just rolled up on a horse picking some Jose Gonzalez music on their on their band. <laughs> hey, wait, whoa, whoa, what's that? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> whoa, whoa, hold up, hold up, hold up. <laughs> the Daily Zeitgeist is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. That is going to do it for this Tuesday morning. We'll be back this afternoon to tell you what's trending, and we'll talk to you then. Bye. 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 Beauty is gone.